0: Hi, this is Lori Denning, and this is my podcast, The 20-Minute Scriptorian, where we follow the Come Follow Me curriculum. I am a member of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and while this is an official, I am a believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. A little bit scholarly, a little bit inspirational, this podcast will attempt to help us become better disciples of Christ. Join me, Scriptorians. Hey everybody, welcome back. We are continuing on, on all about the Old Testament. So as we start our Come Follow Me and the Old Testament is such a big book of scripture and so much going on and so distant from us. I want to continue on our discussion of how to understand the Old Testament next on the 20 Minute Scriptorian. So I'm so excited. I, I have just waited and waited and I couldn't wait any longer, even though it's only July, is to get into talking about the Old Testament. And uh, so keep doing your studies for Come Follow Me. But if you're starting to prep like I am and really dig into the next course of study as well as the manual is out and time has is taking down, jump in with me. Now, we've already done one episode, and we've talked about kind of the overview of the Old Testament being a flashback, as well as some of the the styles and things. And today, I want to go through a couple more tips and tricks, kind of some ideas to help our study of this very ancient document, our set of documents. First, first thing to remember is style. So, In style, we've talked about it a little bit, but there are different genres or styles. Now, you've noticed this. When you flip open the books and you flip open something like Psalms, you'll notice their style is super different than a style of something, say, Genesis, which is more of a narrative, a story. And it's important to remember that. Another thing that is just something that comes up a lot these days but didn't seem like this came up before more recent days, and that is what do we use scripture for? What are these styles intended for? One of the common debates that that I have certainly heard, you might have stumbled on too, is, hey, are these scientific documents? Or can we understand how old the earth is? Or is there a way to understand uh, something scientific? and just so you know I absolutely love science I think I started my career way back when in chemistry of all things um I have since repented and moved away from the sciences but but if you get into science I find that science and religion are infinitely compatible they are two sides of the same coin but they come from to truth and to ideas from different directions so I don't think we should ever shy away from uh, scriptures to try to understand things, but they are different. Um, If you approach scientific ideas, you're trying to understand how it works. I mean, you're looking at Things like astrophysics and uh, you know the construction of the world in its chemical makeup or its physics or its astrophysics, whatever. And that is not how Scripture approaches it. Scripture has a different purpose. Scripture is trying to teach us about God as, and why we do things, what we become, how, what matters in the world. It's not trying to describe things like um, you know the Big Bang theory or what a cork is. So if you and and just the same as science is not trying to tell you the reasons that you should be moral or the intention that God has for you in your life they each have their own purposes and their own styles and when we crisscross them they don't work very well so just similar to that I think we find ideas like um well if you had a, a library of books which you probably do you wouldn't turn to a um a fiction book uh, to learn how to bake a cake, or you wouldn't go to an instructional IT computer manual to um, you l- learn the history of Phoenicia, right? They're, they're different. They have a different intention. And so when we crisscross the intention, we're going to be disappointed. So just like that big idea that science and scripture are completely compatible together, and they absolutely are, just remember their intention. The same thing in a kind of a zoomed in view if that's the big zoomed out view a zoomed in view is the intention that we have for scripture of the different styles of the books so if you flip through your scriptures you'll you'll be like oh hey this looks again like psalms or poetry and this looks like a gospel and this looks like um, some kind of instruction or law um, you know, the Doctrine and Covenants is specifically different. It has a lot more directives um, than, it, than, say, stories. Um, and so they're just different styles, and they have a different intention. So one of the first things as you flip open the book that you are working on, one of the big clues is always like, hey, what style is this, and what is its intention? What what was the author trying to tell me? So if it was Moses or Paul or Helaman or whomever was writing it, you um, what were they trying to do? Were they trying to tell me what? So that's a good place to start. And then, how are they trying to do it? So, we've mentioned Psalms a couple of times. Psalms is interesting because we think of it just kind of like the hymn book of the olden times. And it's so much more than that. In fact, it has a really unique structure like five distinct books, and it has kind of a beginning and an end and um, if you start to look for that you're starting to learn that it's trying to explain so much more about what's going on and yes it's using poetry in fact so many of the prophets use poetry again it's about a third of scripture is in poetic form when things get kind of emotional or they're hard to describe i love that that intention that style of poetry in fact we do it all the time Um, you know if you listen to music like well Everyone, you'll notice that those are the places we go for emotion, right? When we're trying to explain something complex and profound, but words just don't quite get it, sometimes we'll listen to a song. And we all have probably had the experience of a song really moving us, whether it was exciting, or touching, or even moving you to tears it's not very often that a speech moves you to tears but it's fairly common that music will and that's kind of the same idea of poetry. It's the emotion is kind of wrapped in where it's really hard to take a complex item like love or God's uh, mercy or maybe despair or tragedy but you can maybe use those in poetry. So style. That style and its intent is really important to understand. So I want all of us to say, hey, when I'm starting this book of scripture, What style is it in? Now, you don't have to be a super literary genius to know all the styles. You can kind of get the picture. It's like, hey, this looks like a letter. Um, Or this looks like a bunch of stories knitted together. And then say, well, why are they telling me a story here instead of, you know, like a law book or something or a bullet point list? Because they're trying to teach us something else. So just a really important thing as you jump into each book is to take a second, ask yourself, what's the style? What's the author's intention? Okay, so that's one of the first things that we want to look at. Another thing that's really uh, common in the Old Testament, and especially in those first five books, are this idea of what we call couplets. Um, You've probably noticed that some of the stories repeat. Yeah, they repeat a lot. And you're like, didn't I just read this story? In fact, there's some books that are like entire repetitive books they they tell the story a little differently like first and second kings and then first and second chronicles we kind of smack them right next to each other um in the hebrew bible the chronicles is actually the last in the order of of it's the very last book but but it takes out like the whole um uh, part of david like the bathsheba story isn't in chronicles or uh, any of his other foibles so you don't also hear some of the stories like david and goliath that's only in um uh, k- kings or in samuel you don't hear those in chronicles and so so there are these couplets these repetitive stories when you first start the book of genesis you'll notice that genesis 1 has kind of the seven days of creation this kind of big picture view and then you flip the page to genesis 2 and all of a sudden you're you're like retelling the story or you're kind of zooming in you're on kind of day uh, you know about five or six uh, the the creation of of people and, and there's a lot more detail and all of a sudden you get the trees and the snake and Adam and Eve and fig leaves and all of that but none of that was in the first part so you're like is it two creations are they telling two creations or are there two different stories so you're going to see these couplets I think of them as like just a different version of the story to try to emphasize something else or they sometimes are also uh, kind of a zooming out, zooming in. You're like, hey, I want to really focus on one element of this story. In Genesis, you'll find it a lot. You'll find um, where Abraham uh, tells his wife, Sarah, to be his sister a couple of times. Uh, both um, Abimelech, uh, Abimelech and also Pharaoh, Um in Egypt and then Gerar, he does it twice, like the same story, and you're like, hey, wait, didn't I just read this? Um, So you see a big picture like Chronicles and the story of David, but you also see it in these stories over and over, like Creation or the story of Abraham and Sarah. So I don't want those to throw you off. They are a unique literary design that I think the author is trying to do kind of a zoom in, zoom out, or let's take that story again and look at it again. Let's dig a little deeper. Let's tell the story over and over. I love the way that the Gospels do it, right? You have four separate Gospels according to about the uh, gospel of Jesus Christ Matthew Mark Luke and John and they tell some very different stories right there's there's there are no parables for example in John at all and and then you only get like seven miracles uh and then in other stories there's like the birth narrative in Luke um you know with the shepherds and then Matthew's the only one that tells about the magi or the star and Herod uh going after him so they each have unique stories does that mean they didn't happen or they're not scientific or they're not historical well for heaven's sake No, they have certain intention. The author is trying to have us understand certain themes and ideas, trying to draw out certain ideas that we really understand. They're kind of underscoring certain things about God and the Savior to us. So as you study, uh, just remember, you're going to see these couplets. You're going to see these kind of repetitions. And if you read the whole book, as opposed to just kind of flit around, which I do sometimes. But if you're going to read the whole book, you'll go, hey, I just read this. And then you'll say, you know, we just talked about that. And you'll say, hmm, I wonder what they're drawing out differently. I wonder what they're trying to underline or highlight for me so a really great thing is to just get used to them and notice them um that was something that was new to me i i had seen those before but mostly i kind of just ignored them or tried to what we call harmonize them and a harmony is where you kind of smoosh the story into one giant master story and all the try to put all the elements together Uh, the author is not doing that the author is doing something else the author is specifically telling you them as separate stories so um trying to draw out something okay So there are a couple more clues on how to understand ancient scripture, Uh, specifically Hebrew scripture does this a lot. You're going to look at the style, the genre. Is it poetry? Is it something else? You're also going to look for things like couplets, these doubles, these zooming ins and zooming outs, and see if you notice um, what they're trying to say about God what they're trying to say about your relationship with him what are they underscoring what if I why are they telling me this story twice because they certainly knew they were doing it um, and so take a look at that those are a couple of really good places to start all right let's talk about a few more things another thing hey this is like time travel going back into history so when we go back and read these books remember some of these are like 3,000 3,500 years ago I mean if I went back 50 years ago even in North America where I live it's really different I wouldn't have the same clothes they don't say the same words I mean we might speak same language but it's changed a lot in 50 years Um, so multiply that times a lot you know 3,500 years in the Middle East in languages and cultures that they aren't like us Um, they are like us and that they're people and they have the same people problems but one thing that's constantly um, comes up is you're like why are they treating each other that way? Or why do they value that and not something else? Or what language are they speaking? What cultural things are important? And so we'll try to do a little bit of context. Um, You know, we don't always know everything about what it was like to live way back then, but we do know some stuff and we can certainly take a look at it. So when you are exploring that, it's always a good reminder to say, hey, this is like time travel. I'm going 88 miles per hour and whatever gigawatts and I'm going back in time and it's going to be different. And so I should put on my, um, you know, take my passport with me. I'm traveling to a new country in a new time and respect the culture, the time, the language. The Old Testament is mostly written in two languages, Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, and a little bit of Aramaic. Uh, Ancient Hebrew is different than modern Hebrew. Um, Modern Hebrew is really an invention um it's awesome but it is an invention uh meaning no one was really speaking it anymore they kept people uh jews obviously kept speaking it and reading it as part of their cultural heritage but day to day they didn't speak it but when the uh, country of israel was put together they said well we're gonna speak hebrew so they kind of reinvented the languages so here's this dead language people weren't speaking anymore and it was resurrected uh to be hebrew modern hebrew obviously too has started to morph and change i mean there are words like computers and planes and technology that they didn't have them um but it's a little bit different so uh but not terribly but there you go they they really spoke and and wrote a different language additionally for a lot of the hebrew bible people didn't speak hebrew then either so they had to have people help them because they were speaking different languages one of the languages they started to speak was aramaic aramaic is a f- similar language but it is not the same and it's uh, a a good example of a people group that spoke it were the assyrians and those are the guys that took over the northern ten tribes and they were around for i don't know three or four hundred years and so that became kind of the lingua franca of the time was aramaic and so that's the language that jesus spoke uh, when he walked around he he didn't Um, speak day-to-day Hebrew the language they spoke was Aramaic they also spoke Greek at that time in fact the scriptures were uh, most the Hebrew scriptures were translated into Greek for most people uh, including Jews because that was the language of the day um, after Alexander the Great had marched around for a few hundred years before everybody spoke Greek so if that was the language that you know whether you lived in Egypt or you lived in the area of Turkey or you lived in Palestine wherever you lived um a language that was kind of common was greek so the old testament called the septuagint um anyway i won't tell you what that means but it was written in greek uh and so they translated the hebrew scriptures into greek because again people didn't speak hebrew that much they they read it as scholars but they didn't speak it so they spoke aramaic maybe greek um and they certainly read hebrew so you've got this book that even in Jesus' time is like, ah, it's foreign language. That's different from us. You know that, Some of these stories are really, really old. So just remember that the, the way that the words work, the way that the idioms work, that the language works is a little bit different. Um, I'll try to point out a few of them. A couple things that are really common is that this stuff was meant to be read out loud. Uh, So sometimes there are rhymes or alliterations or uh, wordplay. Hebrews love puns for some reason. Um, I hate puns, but they love puns. And so it only makes sense, though, in Hebrew. So sometimes these um, phrases are really funny, but they're trying to do puns. But sometimes they're trying to point out they're using a verb or something for it to rhyme or to have something or, you know, draw something out of the story. So we'll try to pull some of those together. It helps understand. Something that will help you is that, uh, you know, to look stuff up. So if you want to look stuff up on Google or whatever, that's a little risky because Google's, you know, anybody could write anything. But um, but if you find a great commentary, you might jump into those and, and just see what some of those words mean if you get really lost. But that's where I go. Um, and it helps me sometimes understand this time travel, the language it was written in, the, the idioms, the styles. But remember, we're time traveling. So we have to take off our 21st century a helmet and uh, go back in time to understand what it was like back then a good example of that as well is maybe just how they treated for example women or slaves or foreigners um, they may have had different things that were important to them that are important to us and it's important to remember what was important to them and take the story first rather than try to uh, take our modern day sensibilities. Some things, they were much more put together than we were. And other things, we might have a completely different sensibility. So just remember, take your cult, take your cultural hat off. Remember the language and the time that it was written in. So a few hints. Nothing new there. Just a reminder as we jump in. A few good sources, of course, some of the church website. Um, we'll go through some of that today. And of course, there are a gazillion commentaries and documents out there where people try to help you with that. So um, be cautious on your sources, of course, but um, but jump in, have fun with it, see what you can find out. All right. So we've talked about style. We've talked about couplets. We've talked about language and idioms and different things like that. And those things are going to help us as we jump into the Old Testament. All right. Well, buckle up. We're going to head into the book of Genesis next, and we'll take it, tear it down a little bit piece by piece, especially if you're a teacher, you're teaching your family yourself. We'll try to break it down into small chunks and go through it together. All right, scriptorians, join me next on the 20-minute scriptorian.